Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're in Parashat Behar this morning. We're at Leviticus chapter 25. <coughs> and Rita, will you read for us, please? Adonai spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, When you enter the land that I assign to you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of Adonai. Six years you may sow your field, and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of Adonai. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. But you may eat whatever the land during its Sabbath will produce. You, your male and female slaves, the hired and bound laborers who live with you, and your cattle and your beasts and your land may eat all its yield. You shall count off seven... Oh, wait, wait, let's, let's stop there. Okay. All right. So, uh, God speaks to Moshe Behar Sinai in uh, Har Sinai and says, tell the people Israel that when they enter the land that they will observe a Shabbat for the land. And what is that going to look like? That's going to look like a cycle of every seventh year. Right, So as we have Shabbat every seventh day, for the land it will be every seventh year. So for six years you can uh, do all these agricultural things that you're supposed to do. Sow your field and prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. So uh, pruning is part of, of growing. Right, You have to prune twice a year uh, for grapes. And uh, the same word here is used for, uh, like, olive olive groves. So it was really important to prune in order to make sure that you had growth. Something about snipping off the shoots from the year before, I don't know. Um, so so that's it's an active sense. Pruning is actively encouraging growth. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Shabbat of complete rest. A Shabbat of Adonai. Thank you, Eleanor. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest. So once you've harvested and there's more growth, you can't go back and harvest it. And you can't gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It will be a year of complete rest for the land. But what you're allowed to do in that seventh year is that you are allowed to eat whatever grows naturally, like on its own. So presumably it's going to be a lot less. If you haven't sown and pruned and pruned and done all those things, presumably it will be less. But you can eat. You just can't tend it right the way you do uh, in the other years. So the the guarantee on God's end is that it will be a good year that seventh year, <laughs> right? Like six year, the sixth year will be so good that you will have extra stores, and the seventh year lots will grow. Right, that's that's the assurance. Okay. When, uh, when you Rabbi, when when you enter the land, where where are we now in, in terms of 
So where are we now? So we are still in the Midbar. We're still in the desert. We're in the earlier phase of the desert. Right? We haven't even started the book of Numbers yet. We haven't even started all that business. Right? <clears throat> so we're we're coming right off the book of Exodus. And Leviticus interrupts Write the narrative from Exodus to Numbers. Yeah, it seems strange to be saying when, like, they're going to do it tomorrow. Right? I mean, these are the these are the laws that God is giving to the people for when they get there, which we know is not going to be anytime soon, right? They don't know that yet. Nobody knows that yet. All right, <clears throat> Rita. Number eight, yep. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives you a total of 49 (coughs) years. Then you shall sound the horn loud. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, the Day of Atonement, you shall have the horn sounded throughout the land, and you shall hallow the 50th year. You shall proclaim release throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you shall return to your holding, and each of you shall return to your family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow, neither shall you reap the aftergrowth or harvest the untrimmed vine, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may, you may only eat the growth direct from the field. All right. So we have the seven-year cycle set of, uh, of having this Shabbat for the land. Then you're going to count seven sets of seven. Seven sets of seven years. Where have we seen this before? Seven sets of seven? Uh, uh, the counting of the omen. Pesach to Shavuot. From Pesach to, from the liberation to Sinai is seven sets of seven days. <coughs> days. <laughs> I was going to say weeks, that's right. Seven sets of seven days for a total of 49 days. So this is a very, this is a common thing in, right, in our ancient Near Eastern Israelite tradition is this number seven being the number of completion and seven sets of seven being like another level of that. And in this case, it is seven sets of seven years for giving us a total of 49 years. When we reach that 49th year, you shall sound the what? The shofar. Yes. Sound the shofar in the seventh month on the tenth day of, a, of the month, which is Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, that horn, that shofar, will be sounded throughout the land, and it will proclaim that we are at the 50th year. Hmm. Yovel. And what, what, what is that? What is happening with that 50th year? Vikidashtem etchnat hachamishim. You will sanctify, right? Holify. You will set aside, you will set apart, make somehow distinct and holy this 50th year. Ukratem dror ba'aretz lekol yoshvea. And you will proclaim 
Anybody been to Philadelphia? You will proclaim liberty throughout the land. This is on the broken bell that we have right in Philadelphia. This is on the Liberty Bell. That's why it's called the Liberty Bell. Uh, and I, mean, I was taught this yesterday to senior staff because uh, we study Torah before we begin our senior staff meetings and uh, and I said, I think it's more than ever, more it's appropriate that this quote is on a broken yes. bell, on a busted bell, because, yeah, we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> dror, liberty, any guesses what that means? If you were a slave? Freedom. Means, if you're a slave, you're going to be made free. You're going to be liberated. So, And this is not a word we're used to seeing. What, what's the word we have attached to Israelite slavery? Redemption. Redemption. <coughs> we don't have this word. This is new. I mean, it's not new to the Bible. It means other things in other places in the Bible. It means a little bird. A sparrow is what they translated into English. It means a sparrow. Uh, it, it's got other interpretations uh, it having to do with incense. So technically, it's something to do with incense. But but this is a is a new word for us when we start talking about slavery. Because normally, when we talk about Israelite slavery, we're talking about redemption from slavery. Because who are the slaves here? Who are the slaves that we're talking about going free here? That could be Israelites. Who are the slave holders? Israelites. So, so there's a different concept. When it's the Israelites all being held in slavery by the Egyptians, it is ge'ulah. It is redemption from slavery. When it is Israelite masters owning Israelite slaves, now we're talking about we're talking about liberty. It's also liberty, liberty for the fields, for the land. Yes. And redemption. It, no, no, no. Redemption is not used. Well, of the land. What does the word redemption really mean? Ha, okay. All right. So, so why dror and not geulah? Right? It has an implication about the type of slavery. Like that one is... Um, so defining of the entire human in existence, and the other is more like a servitude job <coughs> term to it. Very good, very good close reading, Laura. So maybe this has to do with what is the actual condition of slavery that we're talking about. In Egypt, it was absolute slavery. Right? The entire people was subjected to Right? Oppression. They were all owned, if you will, um, as a, as a people by Egypt, by the state. What might be the difference here? Israelites owning Israelites. What might be the difference that I think you're, you're pointing to? From that, uh, well, what you were suggesting makes it less sort of uh, an authoritarian, um, kind of, uh, institution and more of a familial, individual kind of thing. But I was thinking about it being as a, a, like a, 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 a not a job because they're slaves, 
that's the word, but that it's um, it's not an oppression, that it's um, more of a mutual agreement. There are rules about it, they're right, you have to feed everybody, these are the standards that you have to use, there's you know, there's OSHA. Well, this is indenture. So, so this is the key. This is indentured. This is indentured servitude. Because uh, they're freed after a certain. Because they're freed after a certain amount of time. Indentured servitude means my family becomes so poor because of drought or bad choices on my part about what I planted or whatever that. We now are, and remember, in an, agri, in an agrarian, ugh, agricultural, agrarian, try, pick one, Amy. So, um, mm-hmm. in an agricultural society, your wealth is your surplus of food. If you have no surplus, you have no wealth. <coughs> if you don't even make enough on your crop to sustain your family, you know, by selling your produce, then you're in trouble. And if that happens a couple of years in a row, you're in big trouble. To the point where you would sell a child or a teenager, whatever, into indentured servitude in order to help pay the family bill or to, or to, you know, to make enough money that you can buy seed for the next year's crop. Right? So with that money from that sale of X amount of years of service, you have money now to plant another crop and, and have a shot anyway. Uh, otherwise, you, you have not. Otherwise, you have nothing, right? You, and that still goes on. Yeah. It still goes on, absolutely, uh, worse than ever, actually. Um, there are times when it sounded good to me too. <laughs> <laughs> There's, yeah. So uh, sometimes we just put them to work at home. But. Is, it, is it manifest today in any way other than just celebrating or recognizing? Do the Orthodox, is there something happen that they did here of anything? No. It's just lost and... Yes. It is. Yeah. There, there is still the counting of when it is a Shabbat for the land, yeah. but they rotate where the Shabbat of the land so the is. 50th year means nothing today. Correct. Huh. Correct. But they recognize it. As well, the it is- I don't, I don't know that, that Yovel's counted. Anymore in Israel. My grandfather was an indentured servant. Seriously? Yes. To whom? He, when he was a, and I, when he was a, a, a young boy, he was sent from his home in Galicia, near near the above, which is now in the Ukraine. He was sent to London to be an indentured service servant to a barber. In and he learned barber shop, barbering skills, and then at a certain point of time, he was able to move to New York City. And there you go. <laughs> when I think about it in the terms you just said, and that happened at the beginning of the 20th century. Right. So that's... So that that may be part of the difference of why we use dror, liberated, mm-hmm. instead of redeemed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what? So liberated. Okay, we can understand that that they're no longer in this situation of indentured servitude. So what's what's the difference with redemption? 
it's like the, the, the whole soul, the whole being is exchanged, as you've taught us, from one condition of utter and complete oppression to like a new soul, a new life. Does that come from within as opposed from without? No, I think it has to be without. Geulah, redemption is that the thing is exchanged, like Laura said, she's been coming for many years, um, the thing is exchanged for what it was actually supposed to be all along. I exchange the coupon, I give the coupon to the sales clerk, I redeem it, which means I'm then given a quarter. My 25 cent coupon. The, it, was, the, it was never meant to stay a piece of paper, it was always meant to be a quarter in my hand. But I have to redeem it. I have to give it over and then it is exchanged and it is redeemed and now it's a quarter in my hand. So there seems to be a suggestion by Torah that the, the, the condition of Israelite slavery in Egypt is not supposed to be with human beings. This indentured servitude is accepted by Torah. The condition of slavery that the Israelites experienced in Egypt, which I would say probably Torah sees very similarly to the African-American experience here, is never supposed to happen. Hence the word redemption, right? It's exchange. So slaves were exchanged for what they were always supposed to be, which is free people. This system of indentured servitude seems to be accepted by Torah. These slaves are not redeemed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Torah understands that there are different economic conditions, there are different horrible things that happen, and Torah seems to accept that, that means someone can be sold into a relationship of indentured servitude for X amount of time. Come Yovel, they are liberated. Torah accepts capitalism. Torah accepts capitalism. <laughs> I would have to think about that statement before I agreed or disagreed. It's okay for there to be indentured servants and people who use their service. There are winners and losers, right? But you can work your way out of it. Okay. Sorry. So if we want to call this early capitalism, I don't know enough economic theory to speak to that. Uh, But certainly, certainly to your point, Torah tolerates the reality of there being wide disparity in the, in the human condition and in the land of Israel. And it's a better alternative than like the British debtor's prison. I mean, from which there was no escape. You couldn't get out. Typically there was no escape. We never got out of Right, we read Dickens, right? <laughs> I love Dickens. So throw is liberated and redemption, what's that Hebrew word? Geula. So... This is all very important, right? Terminology. So Geulah is redemption. And so Geulah is redemption. Did you write in black? It's very hard to see yeah. the red. Okay. Um, and what are we talking about? Dol, which is one of the hardest Hebrew words to pronounce. <laughs> The two races together like that. Oh, only Israelis. And, and, and Israelis name their children Dol. Dol. Like, 
All right, Dror is Dror is liberation, right? So, and then we have one more word that we've been throwing around. Oh no, not yet. I'm sorry. Uh, um, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Right, and so this year is Yovel, this year of release. So drawer can be also release. Because that's what it says in Numbers. You shall proclaim release throughout the land for all its inhabitants. Yes. Is, is that every indentured servant or everyone? The whole. Okay. I just want to know if that's an ayin. Is it an ayin? Yeah. It is not. <laughs> I'm not writing very clearly. Yeah. That still isn't clear. Very nice, Amy. So that's an Aleph. Gimel Aleph Vav Lamed He. All right. Well, what, what we know is that, that they will experience release at the 49th year. Now, if you get sold into indentured servitude at the age of 45. That's not a great deal. Not a great deal. I thought it was every 50 years. So if you sold, if you went into indentured servitude... It depends how far the Yovel is. Right, so if you... So sorry, I misspoke. If you if you are sold into indentured servitude year one... Right, you you're gonna. It's gonna be terrible. Right. Yeah, and it's not. And the older you are, when that right cycle starts, the worse you are. The worse you are, because you're fifty years from. The older you are at the beginning of that cycle, the worse it is, right? So for some people, this release is is doesn't matter, right? It, it's a lifetime sentence for some people. <laughs> they did. They did. And the word earn is, seems inappropriate because it's the passage of time. Correct. Correct. I didn't say earn. Yeah, I did not. Yes. For someone to be released, it had to be a voluntary act by the person that he or she is indentured to. Is that right? Well, what 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 Torah is saying is that's the law. That's the law. The law is come Yovel. There's draw, right? But the owner could release voluntarily at any time. Oh, presumably, yes. And and there are conditions under which you had to release. There were conditions under which you had to release a slave. We saw some of this with Hagar, right? We used this as an argument to reread the story of Hagar this year, if you'll recall. Right, go back and listen to your podcast. So remember last, I know you remember, last week we talked about uh, making donations and how it's not it's not uh, your donation, it all belongs to you and Hevapé. I'm wondering if there's any part of this where people cannot belong to other people. They can't be owned by people. And for us, as Laura pointed out, it's an economic arrangement, but the Egyptians didn't see it that way. They owned the person. Yes, I think that's Laura's point. Okay. Yes, that, that Torah seems to be saying you can't own land, 
because it belongs to God. You can't own people because people also belong to God and are free in that sense of human or should be free of human masters in terms of outright, yes, permanent ownership as, as in property. So are you saying that in redemption you're basically redeeming the work of slavery to receive freedom? No. How does it work again? What are you redeeming? The people. You're redeeming the person. We were redeemed from slavery. We were 25 cent coupons cut out of the newspaper. That's not what we were supposed to be. We were supposed to be quarters. Right? We were quarters. Then we got turned into pieces of paper in the newspaper. Then God cut us out of the newspaper. This is a very bad <laughs> metaphor, but now I'm stuck. And God, right? We go to the cosmic grocery store. We're supposed to be quarters, right? We're supposed to be free. I hate it when that happens. Yes. Right? So now we're redeemed to what we were supposed to be, what we were all along, but for a while there we were 25 cent coupons. That's not what we're supposed to stay, right? We weren't supposed to be that. Once we're redeemed, we are quarters. Okay. Okay. I, uh, I did it to myself. It's okay. Yeah, just, just let's move on, shall we? Is this word redeemed in English? There's a situa- situations where the family redeems um, some relative who's been sold. So which word are they using there? Because that is a, a situation where the person would have otherwise been indentured in the family supposed to come redeem them, quote-unquote, is my recollection. So again, they've, they've, been, they've been removed from what they're supposed to be. And it is your job to redeem them. Because in that instance, it's wrong for them to be in that situation. Because you can, you, there's a goel. There's a redeemer. If there's no redeemer, this is the system. So they're stuck. Redeemed there, even though it was uh, uh, an indentured situation. Yes. Um, I think because of the, the wrongness. The family. Of it, the, the family should be preventing that if they can. Mm-hmm. If they can't, Torah seems to make its peace with okay. this has to exist. But yes, so you're right to point out that in that sense, in that system, geula is used. Uh, and I think, I think it goes to the fact that that should not, it's when it shouldn't be, it's the kind of, not the kind of servitude, but the situation should not well, have existed. That's interesting because the implication is, hey, the family's supposed to take care of That's them. exactly right. That's right. So Torah seems to be suggesting if you don't, you are allowing someone to languish in a situation. When you are a go-whale, you are a redeemer, you, you then cause what happened in Egypt, essentially. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you have the power to stop it. And the obligation. And the, and the obligation. David? Amy, could, could this be looked at a different way in that following this idea that the land belongs to God, that we recognize there are the poor and the needy, and God is providing a way to take care of the poor through indenture, but that can last only so long. In other words, could this be a good act? What, what part? The indentured servitude part? Servitude, yes. So, so that, Israeli to Israeli. That, that part is, 
is a given in Torah. It is not, it is not set up as a system by God. It's accepted as reality. There's no law that says you shall indenture your children should you fall on hard times, right? It's just about, it is an obligation, a moral obligation of an Israeli. Israelites. Israelites. To care for the poor, and this is a system that deals with This is not prescriptive. It, it, it deals with the fact that it's a reality that some poor are going to wind up in indentured servitude. Torah doesn't have an opinion about it. Torah accepts that as a given and then says, but within that given system, there are laws and rules and obligations that you have as slave owners to the slave. This is written for the slave owners. This is written to slave owners, not to the poor. Right? So this is a law book that says, all right, you, you have slaves. It's just a given. That's the system we live in. You have slaves, but here are the rules and the laws around how you must treat them and when they must be released because people are owned forever. They are not owned as things. They are, they remain human beings. Torah doesn't have an opinion about the system. It has an opinion about the system being ethical. Right and fair to the people trapped in it. It has to end every fifth year. Yes. So God. It gets reset, knowing that once again people will fall into poverty and once again will become indentured servants. It doesn't end the system. It resets the playing field. Right. This whole business, which is what I want to get to, Jubilee Yovel is all about resetting the the whatever. Right. You, You hit. Reboot so that people aren't trapped in that precipitous decline forever and over generations. That, that there's an attempt to say, okay, we're going to flip it back, right, every 50 years. So was that observed by Jewish slave owners in the South? No, because they weren't living in the land of Israel. There was no Yovel. This is only for Israelites living in Israel. Once the Romans destroyed the temple in 70, all of this is gone. All of it. All of it is gone. Two questions. Practical. If somebody has nothing and they're suddenly released, how do they survive anyway? And if a slave owner or an indentured servant owner has all these people who are working on his behalf, if they're suddenly released, how do they survive? It sounds like it doesn't work. Which is why we believe this probably never happened. Just saying. Uh, just saying. Just saying. Um, yes. The idea. Thank you, Sarah. Is inspiration. Yes. And so, because some people believe that what this is, is, is a book, what is this? Some people believe that this is a book of aspirational writing, not reality. And, and I, and I'm gonna be fair about it. I'm not even gonna just treat the Jubilee this way. We're, we talked about sacrifices. That if you really look at the amount of sacrifices and the size of the animals they'd have to bring, there isn't a way that the land of Israel could support uh, that many bulls, right? Being all, so that it's aspirational, not 
realistic and not reality. That some of it might have, you know, these rituals happened, but in the numbers and in the ways, probably not. Yeovil wasn't ideal, probably. We're, we have no evidence that it actually ever happened because of all of the kind of complications right? we just heard. There is a provision for if someone wants to sow to your question about if you're just released and you have nothing, where do you go? First of all, one balance to that is all of the land reverts to its previous owners also. Mm. It's not just people are freed and they're sent out into the gutters of New York City. They, their, their family that sold them into slavery will get its land back that it lost Right. So, 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 chaos. so, right, right. It sounds like chaos, uh, right? Um, but, but if you look carefully, you only buy a piece of land for as long as it is until the 49th year. You don't buy a piece of land forever. You, you buy a land lease. You buy the land to use it for your purposes for however many 17 years left till Yovel. Then I buy the land for 17 years. So. So there is a way to keep track of it so that it isn't chaos. But yes, it's a little chaotic to think every 50 years, like everything, everything like changes. But there is a system by which someone can choose to stay a slave in that household forever. Let's say that slave marries and they have children. If that slave is freed and the other slave is not going to be free because let's say they're a foreign captive, I want to stay, then what happens? You remember? Their ear is put against a piece of wood and then a nail is driven through the ear and it marks them as as a slave for life by choice. I mean, we can put choice in air quotations, uh, but but that is an option. And so some people ask why why the ear, like what was this thing? And so some of the rabbis say, because the ears that heard at Sinai that they were redeemed from slavery should never voluntarily become a slave again for life. And so that ear is punctured uh, as a, so take, take it or leave it. But Sarah, to your, to your point, Rambam, in looking at this text, says, God forbid you should long for the land of Israel where you could actually do Jubilee because reading about Jubilee inspires us to the value of what it's trying to teach us. The same way, says Rambam, and Maimonides, the same way that, that we, do, we read the text, if you should see your enemy's ass fall, fallen over, you have to help it up, Right? Well, you don't have to have seen your enemy's ass fallen over to read that text and get from that text what Torah is trying to tell us. Right? So Rambam goes to where Sarah goes, which is, yeah, we can whine, oh, we don't have Jubilee anymore, that's really the fairer system, and, you know, what does this mean to us? Now that we don't live in Israel, why do we even read all of this? Why do we spend 45 minutes on this when it might be... And Rambam says, because, exactly what Sarah said, because the ideal is to say... All right, so we understand that there's poor and wealthy and that there's a huge gap and we must figure out a way for society to address the the <coughs> hardest hit in the system and not keep them there in perpetuity. And that is not something that we do in this country very well at all. Yes, that brings us to today and the issue of policy. Indeed. It's quite chaotic, and we have a lot of aspirational programs to solve homelessness. 
Um, but but here we are. And the <laughs> Just to add to that, our present prison system, which dumps people out on the street after they've served their term with no preparation for the world around them. Right, there was a beautiful piece on NPR about yeah. this recently, but Burton, I think her yeah. name is Burton, who just wrote a book. And people who are terrified. Susan Burton. Prison. And, and, for, and how about mental institutions? The foster care system, right? It, they age out, and now, now what? They have no resources. They have no support. They have nothing, and we wonder why they wind up in prison. When the women come out of foster care, the pimps are waiting outside. That's exactly right, because because it's immediate money. It's immediate. Where's she going to sleep? Well, where's she going to work? Sleep? Where's she going right, to? So, um, so this is a, this is what we live with, and accept. Right? So to your point about aspirational, where is it aspirational? Where? Well, because there are, there are uh, task forces. There are. But where's, where's, but where's the aspiration, where's the aspiration come from? This is part of the problem. We're not reading Torah anymore. I'm glad y'all are in the room. I'm not talking to y'all, obviously. Um, but, this is our aspiration. This is our text that says it's not optional. It's not join a task force because that's a nice way to spend your Thursday afternoon. This says it's not optional. Task forces are mandatory. If you don't have Yovel, you better figure out a way to live into the ideal of Yovel and figure out a way to help that group of young people who are, you know, coming out of foster. It is your obligation to break the cycle so that that family doesn't stay in that condition for generations. That is your obligation. My concern is that we don't, we don't have one as Americans. Where is it? Is it the Constitution? Not really. Right? Where do we as a country turn and look for the places we are called into an obligation that we don't feel enough? We don't, or we wouldn't have these problems, right, to the extent that we have them. And we can't get past needing to fight each other to even work together on policies. That's the crazy place we're at. That's the really crazy place we're at. And this is why someone like Donald Trump won this election. That's why populism is on the rise. Is because the people who are suffering, the people at the bottom, get it. That the priorities of the folk on top are not about changing the system. It's about winning. Whatever that means. Winning an argument, winning the Supreme Court. And I get it. Those are important things too. But we've gotten so caught up in that that it's very clear to the folks who are losing that we elite have missed it. We're focusing on the wrong things. And I get as heated about those wrong things as anybody else, don't get me wrong. But it's a real call. Our time right now is a real call to pay attention to what Torah is saying. Is that it's, this has to be what we fight more about. How do we make this happen? That people who've lost everything in the game that we are playing in the West, that, and it's Western Europe too. It's not just, not just us. That until they see that we are going back to an understanding that these are the absolute basics, 
that we need to fight about more and harder with more energy and talent and resources until we do that we are going to be stuck in this horrible horrible cycle of absolute division that is driving us into really scary places this is how Nazi Germany happened this is how it happened this is how every totalitarian regime has happened is that is that the folks at the top are disconnected from the the problems of real people and then you get you get terrible terrible things happening because everybody's so divided nothing can get done it's not just the west either no it's of course of course it, right absolutely i didn't mean to to say it was just the west although that's my That's my orientation. In terms of the society I can influence is, well, (laughs) that's a huge statement. The society I hope to influence is this one, right? And the one we're responsible for is this one that I thank you, that I aspire uh, to influence. All right, so I want to take us to this verse that says, um, I don't know. Some verse in this parsha, um, you shall proclaim liberty. So twenty-five, ten, yes. Mm-hmm. You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land for what? All, All its inhabitants. What should that say? <coughs> we shall proclaim liberty throughout the land for. What if I'm a slave owner? Well, you can have liberty too. I already have it. I have a beautiful estate, and I have lots of slaves. For those oppressed, it should say for those who are who do not have who do not have who are enslaved, who are oppressed, who are whatever. Right? That is not what it says. Look at your sheets. This is from the organization Truah. What does the sound of shofar makes? Truah. Do we have any more? Yeah. Blanche is hoarding them over there. Uh-huh. Nice, Blanche. You thought we wouldn't see? You thought we wouldn't see that whole pile? Um, Truah is the sound a shofar makes. In the Yovel, how do we see that Yovel is proclaimed? With Truah. With so this is a social justice Organization, a Jewish social justice organization. Uh, Rabbi Mordechai Liebling is one of the founders of Truah, uh, and he's part of the a leader of the Reconstructionist movement. If I, I don't think it does where I have it, and so oh here it is on your second sheet at the bottom left corner. Truah, the rabbinic call for human rights, and it has their website there, Truah.org. This was a 12-page packet on. Jubilee. So I gave you two pages out of 12. But it says here. Oh, that's right. Oh, Oh my God. Really? All right. Here we go. So you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land for all its inhabitants. It does not say for all its slaves, but for all its inhabitants. So we're looking at the commentary of Rabbi Yaakov Yoshua Falk uh, in his work called Pnei Yoshua. It does not say for all its slaves, but for all its inhabitants. For in a state where there is no freedom, even for a minority of its inhabitants, all its inhabitants are enslaved. We experience freedom only when there is no slavery at all in a state. 
Slavery is an affliction that damages slave and master as one. This comes from a saying of the sages, anyone who buys an Israelite slave has essentially bought a master for him or herself. This is from the Talmud. Therefore, it says, proclaim release for all its inhabitants by freeing the slaves, all the inhabitants of a state become free. A wonderful, amazing quote by uh, Rabbi Yaakov Yoshua Falk that, that in fact, Dror is not about the slaves. Dror is in fact about all the inhabitants of a land as long as there is a system in place in the land that allows people to remain in slavery nobody is free you are not you, you, you can have your constitution and your liberty bill and your American ideals but as long as there are those who are not free in your state and you do not address it you are not free that's part of our seder too to say that So for us, we, 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 we love to claim what a free society we are. And I'm not saying we are not, in comparison to others, a wonderful free society. But if we go to the deeper layers and we go to the really deep injunctions of Torah around morality and ethics and what's just and what's right, true eye is spot on in quoting Rabbi Falk, that we are not, in fact, free. Um, I want to make a distinction. I don't know if I have it here. Yes, here it is. Did I give you this? Yeah, I give you all these. So see, see this sheet that says uh, Parshat Bahar, proclaim liberty throughout the land. Yeah. Look at the sheet. Look at the backside of that. I love this. I love this. And Pam Witt is going to love this because we're going to hang out with one word. All right. Dror, liberty. This is from Rabbi Shmuel Golden. Dror, liberty, is the removal of external constraints, physical or otherwise, that impede an individual's personal choice and independent action. Dror is either conferred upon an individual by an outside force or attained through severance from that force. Is that clear? All right. Now, he's going to... He's going to counter, he's going to give an opposing concept, not opposing, but he's going to take the other word in Hebrew that we see for freedom, which is cherut. And he's going to say, drol is this that he just talked about, the, the removal of external constraints either by an outside force or through severance from that force. Right? The removal of external constraints is liberation or release. What is cherut? What is freedom? But freedom is the injection of positive purpose and value into one's life. That's like things pertaining to addiction. The individual who enjoys cherut by choosing to pursue a higher goal, actively frees him or herself from servitude to the surrounding world and its potentially enslaving forces. Cherut cannot be granted by another, but must be attained by the individual themselves. And how he does this beautiful thing, which I've never seen before. I did not make this connection ever. Um, how do we know this? He's going to have some delicious proof text for us. We look at Exodus 32.16 
where it says, Vahaluchot Maase Elohim, Hema, the tablets, they were the workings, you know, the creation of God. Vehamichtav, Michtav Elohim, and the writing, meaning the writing on them, is the writing of God. Charut al haluchot. What do we usually say in English? Carved. Uh, no, that's. Mm. This is the writing is the writing of God. Charut al haluchot. Carved into the tablets. That's the word charut. It's the verb. Like, what was? How were they written? They were charut. They were incised. It says here, right, on the tablets. All right. So hang on to that. Then we're going to drop down to Pirkei Avot, which says, We just read that. Beautiful, beautiful. So the rabbis say, don't read Charut incised, but rather Charut, freedom. What is it saying? From the stone. It, I mean, that may be the, the, the meaning of how you get there from carved or graven, but what, what's, what is the play on words here that's made, made in Pirkei Avot by the rabbis? It's beautiful. Don't read that the words written on the tablets were incised, God forbid, you, they were cherut, they are freedom. The word is the words of God and the writing is the writing of God, cherut al-haluchot, freedom is on the tablets. <laughs> Gorgeous. That is what Rabbi Falk is saying. Yes? That this is about freedom. This is about not about here's the law, blah 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 blah. This is about your freedom. Forget about the slaves. Yes, of course we gotta take care of those slaves. But but it's written for the Israelites. This is your Kherut. This is your freedom we're talking about here. And that is different from Dro. Drol, the slaves will experience drol because this is an external reality that's imposed on them or is taken off of them. The first understanding. But cherut, cherut is because you choose to live into this. You slave owners. No one can give you cherut. You choose to read the words on the tablet and live into what they call you to do. That's cherut. I think of it kind of like this setting. Where like liberation door would be like you like us coming and studying Torah, but like the freedom the Hebrew would be us in our own practice, our own mental space, getting to like that if you look at its levels. Beautifully said, Kay. Beautiful. Drol is that every one of us has the drol to come here. Nobody's going to tell us you can't go there, right? We have been liberated from whatever's going to constrain us to not be able to spend our time this way. Yes, drog means we can come here to Torah study. Cherut is I choose to take what we learn here in and put it in some kind of practice into my life or reach for that, even if we don't achieve that. But that reaching, that, that connection to positive meaning, to some kind of a goal, that that is freedom. That's different from, qualitatively different from liberation. And you gotta have one before you have the other. They're not unrelated, but I love this distinction between liberation and freedom. Just going on what you said, the first paragraph up here, 
says something about wisdom and nature. And probably it's a discussion for another time, but I think teasing the pieces apart here would be a wonderful discussion of how people how people can be resilient in in aging, especially in very old aging, and not. But I, I don't think that in this case that Cherut is related to age. To what I took it, I took it how I took it, and for me, this paragraph is in in your understanding of, uh, so, so that this is a promising statement that we can choose Cherut no matter how old we are yes. that um, because because I would think this could also hold for you know obviously a, a, a young person who does, who now that they know Dor has the opportunity to know Cherut but but I hear you saying we get stuck thinking we don't have freedom anymore once we reach a certain age that we're locked into a certain reality or certain circumstances and I think yes it's a very important thing that we continue to understand Cherut as a choice always always and yes Elena you had your hand up earlier and then put it down uh, this is probably I'm thinking when you talk about carving into the stone I'm thinking about the difference between bow relief and cuneiform where you carve away from what you're um, producing removing material right, to removing. well the letters become inside the stone or what's the letters are the stone and things are removed around them you're freeing them. you're freeing what the message is from the stone a sculptor will say that. They take a piece of clay and they just carve away what isn't what they must Right. No, no, you're, I mean, you artists obviously go somewhere with that, which is lovely. I would love to see that in, in writing, what that, <laughs> what that commentary on this would be, right? Because my, my brain doesn't, doesn't go there, right? It doesn't work that way. Because I think what you're saying is those are different ways of writing, different ways of forming images using a, a material, right? One is to take stuff away, or, I mean, to incise into it, and one is to remove stuff. But it's like, I, I would love to see what you're, go somewhere with that. I can't. Yes, you can. So, yes, you can. So, for next week, I would like to hear your Kiddush, your new kernel of understanding that comes out of your artist's right relationship to this. So chew on it for Shabbat. That's your rabbinic homework assignment for Shabbat. Yes, you are, right? You're not going to get away with that. Sorry. But there is something about carving that involves effort. It's not just writing, it's <laughs> physical so, Yeah. Writing ever. I like that because it means it's challenging. That freedom in certain situations can be challenging. That it's gonna require something. More than just it's gonna require something from us. It's right. It's not gonna be as easy as just Right, writing on yeah. the way we do <laughs> gel ink on paper. Right, it's it's going to require us to to work for it. Um, the carving in stone has a permanence, a weightiness to it. Right, yeah. in paper we don't have. Yeah, yeah. the eternal aspect. Um, and so the Svat Emet says on all of this business, on this verse of Torah, uh, the essence of being cursed 
is being enslaved. The essence of blessing is liberty. So for the Sodomite goes further, right, and talks about what is curse? What is the condition of being cursed? It's being enslaved. And I'm sure he means this metaphorically. Uh, and the essence of blessing, when we say, may God bless you, you know, and we, and we offer and we wish blessing for people and we wish blessings for ourselves and our children, that the essence of that for him is dull, is liberty. That, 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 that it is that fundamental. That, that the one versus the other is the difference between a, a life that feels, that is experienced as cursed and one that is the essence of blessing. Um, and so you have, I gave you some quotes on the one that says independence and free will. That's where that Svadamet quote is. Um, and I gave you these cause, cause I was playing with my new toy. Um, if you go, What's your new toy? Uh, yeah, my new toy that y'all are going to be like, Oh yeah, that sounds like so much fun. Um, Safaria, S-E-F-A-R-I-A. Safaria is a website which has the complete collection of the Jewish texts. So Tanakh, so Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, so all the, all the canon, all of our canon, uh, the Hebrew scriptures, but also Midrash, Talmud, Mishnah, Rambam, Rashi, this guy. It's got, it's got everything. It's amazing. It's amazing. So you can search Jubilee, which I did, because I was like really Jubilee again. Um, it's the seventh year I've taught it here, right? Really? So, um, so I was like, let me play on Safaria, because now it's my new toy. Let me play on Safaria. I put in Jubilee, and 486 texts come up. Wow. I went through 486 texts. Yeah, sure. I did. I went through every single one of them. So, um, this is what I do with my free time. So, um, so, so, and go, but, but the other thing you can, so then you can click one of those texts, like highlight it, and you can create a source sheet. Wow. So if you log in and it's free, you create an account on Sparia, which of course I've done. Um, and so I just go to create source sheet and then I click and this, whatever text I find, number 392 goes to the source sheet and the source sheet I entitled Jubilee, right? You'll notice you don't have that source sheet because you can hit under the search for Jubilee source sheets. And anyone else who's created a source sheet on Jubilee, it, that's what you have in your hand. These were created by other people. Source sheet by Lisa Sobel Burlow. Source sheet by Yisas Har Blinder. Um, right? Gematria, also not Gamora, Gematria. The numbers? Any? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, right? So, so then I didn't have to make a source sheet because I brought you a couple that I really like. And so, and I, so I found this one. And so she's talking here, Lisa Sobel Burlow was talking about independence and free will. She turns to these texts on Yobel, uh, on Jubilee, which is, of course, how I found it. And she says, uh, and she gives us by Emma Goldman an excerpt from the tragedy of women's emancipation, uh, and Rose Schneiderman on women's strength. So, um, I give those to you because, um, we shouldn't forget that we're not there yet in many ways, not even the obvious of, of course, the homeless and people dropped off who have nowhere to go. Of course, of course, of course. And we're not even there as regards women. 
in our society and the equality of women. And so forget, going from there, right? You know, the rabbis would say, kal bachomer. If women aren't equal, kal bachomer. You know, the defenseless, the weak, the poor, the, you know, like, right? If, if even half your civilization by gender is not free, kal bachomer. How much worse is it for, right, everybody else? So I, I give you these important texts of these amazing uh, women heroes. I want to take you to the second page of this again to close. Anyway, so you can play on Safaria. Go play. It's like it's an incredibly fun playground for some of us. Um, and it's gonna I promise you it's gonna reap rewards for you. Right? Like, you know, excellent. Three more source sheets on like this like archaic term that nobody in the whole world knows. Um, so here we go to uh, the Sfaremet. You, you've heard me talk a lot about the Sfaremet. Rabbi Yehuda Leib Ger, the Ger Rebbe. Ubnei Yisrael sheyatzumi mitzrayim, v'neitam lahem haTorah. So Bnei Yisrael, the people of Israel that came out of Mitzrayim, and the Torah was given to them. Yesh biyadam koach hacherut. Given into their hands was the power of cherut. I'm not going to translate, right? Because you get it now, right? It, what was given to them, what was given into their hands was the power of cherut. Ulehavi geula lechol hamekomot vehazmanim kemoshikatuv ukratem dror. What was given into their hands was the power of cherut and to bring geula to every place and every time. As it is written, Proclaim Dror. So what was given to Israel was given, they have the power of Cherut, of freedom. And with that comes the power to make Geulah happen, to make redemption happen. L'chol makom u'l'chol, sorry, l'chol ha-makomot v'hazmanim, to all places and times. If we had a lot more of it, we could talk about what would it mean to redeem time. Oh, oh more Elena for this Shabbat. Uh, but I will leave us there. That what has been given to us is the power of Cherut. It is our choice whether or not to exercise Cherut. It is the power given to us, I would say, to all of humanity. Uh, and... And that means we also have the ability to redeem all places and all times. Will we accept that challenge? Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.